If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game on 2 fm Game on on 2FM. Welcome along. I had to fix my headphones there, lads. Um, I could hear myself back, but I can hear everything now again. Um, Alan Colley and Nadine Doherty are with me in the studio. You're both very welcome along. How's things? How's tricks, Al? I'm good, Marie. Um, thanks for having me as always, yeah. I'm in good form and I was enjoying your two minutes with Johnny and the two Johnny, <laughs> should I say. Uh, we might get into that a bit later on. <laughs> a couple of funny stories. Nadine? Yeah, all good. Uh, looking forward to next week in actual work. Uh, Women in Sport Week Ireland. So uh, we're getting the kids prepared for that and looking through all the books about all the, the famous Irish sportswomen. And I suppose what we were talking about there at the top of the show and we'll have her on, uh, Rashid Adelecki. It's just brilliant and brings us back to our Sanyo Sullivan days and hopefully all the kids of today in 20 years' time will um, hold her in the same esteem that we hold Sanya. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really exciting. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Who it's is unbelievable. the most famous? The most famous Irish sportswoman. Well, it depends what decade you were born in. I'm an 80s chick, so I'd feel Sanya. Really? Yeah. Well, she was the only one that we she saw. She was the only one we saw. Yeah, because it was yeah. no ladies football or camogie, anything like that. Katie, no? <clears throat> Katie now, maybe. Maybe now, yeah. but yeah. for anybody for our age, our for age our it was always Sonia. But I'm talking about, are you doing it for who is the number one? or who? Uh, no, well, say with the kids in school in general, you just want to expose them to as many yeah. female sports people as you can. Um, I suppose at the minute, yeah, probably is Katie. But uh, we'll, we'll come Rachel back. Rachel Blackmore. Rachel, there's so many now because as yeah. Marie said, the, yeah. you know, the exposure's there. But uh, it was Sonia for us and that was about it, mm. you know. But look, I, it's great now. There's oh, it's amazing. It's I'd amazing. have Rachel ahead of Katie. Is would that, you? Yeah, would I would, you? yeah. I actually would. Because of what she's doing at such a tough sport. I'm not saying boxing's not tough. doesn't come much tougher than that. But just in terms of the fact that she's going against men day in, day out as well. Uh, so tough, so hard. Like those races, Gold Cups, Grand Nationals. Like it doesn't come much yeah. bigger or better than that. As much as I love Katie as well, and I hope, obviously, the news that broke yesterday. I hope she gets her mm-hmm. homecoming. I know you're disappointed, but but you think a Croke Park might happen? I think it will. Yeah. yeah, I think in in September, maybe after all the the GA. Um, I guess for me with Katie because she was the first person to do it, and she was she's totally transformed the landscape for female athletes in boxing and other sports as well and I guess maybe because Nina Carberry had had done quite a lot and um, Katie Walsh as well that there were some foundations there already for Rachel Blackmore what she's done is amazing but I think that Katie really had to just went through the glass ceiling yeah yeah Yeah, but I don't think Nina or Katie were doing what Rachel was doing no they weren't but they were were there before her they had Mm. the pathway there and there just seemed to be already um um, in racing that female jockeys were much more accepted whereas in boxing there was nobody Katie was the, the one to Yeah but then you look at all that controversy that came out were they accepted? You know maybe yeah. on the surface level they were but but were they deep down? So uh, look you can look Yeah she had the breakthrough points. barriers had, as well yeah, and major absolutely barriers did, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and as I say to get to the elite at that level like in terms of obviously Ruby would fill in a lot better mm-hmm. in terms of um, the racing world I'm just a fan of racing but what she's achieved, it's absolutely incredible to be going up, as I say, up against men day in, day out um, and to be winning those races, to be riding those brilliant horses that the trainers are giving her as well. And that's not to take away, as I say, I love Katie Taylor as well and what she's achieved and how she behaves and conducts herself. I just, I would have Rachel as the number one. 
Yeah. Well, isn't it brilliant that we're actually discussing Yeah, we have the, loads, of, loads of people that the we females. can think about. Well, yeah. uh, the number one today, anyway, um, is Rashida Adeleke, and she was out speaking to the media today. She was announced as the newest sporting ambassador of Allianz Insurance. Let's hear from her. Each run kind of gives me that confidence for the next performance, because I know, like, each run I'm dropping time, so I'm just kind of waiting for, like, that big drop. And, um, yeah, no, it makes me really excited every time I step on the track, because... Um, it's always opportunity to kind of show what you've been working on. So, yeah, it makes me really excited. Is the 400 your event now? You feel like that's your main event? Yeah, it probably is. And um, when it gets to outdoors, I'm going to like dibble a dabble around in the 100 and the 200 a bit more. I only did 160 and two 200. So I didn't really get to focus on that, those events much. But um, no, outdoors, I'm very, definitely looking forward to running the shorter events and seeing what I can do in those as well. You're running so well at the moment on indoors, which you would think probably wouldn't suit you as much as outdoors is that part of the reason why it does feel quite exciting maybe when you get outdoors it'll suit you a bit more yeah absolutely because even last year I had done the two the 400 meters indoors just to try it out and I ran 50 52 three and then outdoors I ran two seconds faster just being able to kind of get onto the outdoor track and be able to really use my long stride because indoors you're running in lane one the majority of the time and you kind of have to chop your stride a little bit so outdoors has kind of let me um get just kind of gave me the opportunity to you know run freely so I'm really excited to see what I can do outdoors this year. Could you tell us a bit about um, your coach Edric Floreal and how much of a part he has played in your kind of uh, your development? Oh he's absolutely amazing um we're so close he really gives me advice in all areas regardless of um like the sporting relationship that we have yeah he's kind of like a father figure if anything and you know I'm just really grateful he gave he recruited me with a plan and he had a vision and he knew what I was capable of even when I didn't think I was capable of those things and he kind of always reassured me that I am destined to, you know to be successful and he sees the potential that I have and yeah he's just kind of always he's always been real with me always been honest and he's so genuine like he would never kind of run me into the ground if he doesn't think that something is beneficial for me he won't put me he won't put me in that direction so no because I know a lot of collegiate coaches you know their main objective is the collegiate season for the athletes to perform on a collegiate level and win championships win team championships and score as many points as you can um just so they can get you know some more money in their pocket so like they would have I know there was a lot of talk about it at the SEC championships how there were some athletes doing four events in the space of two hours to score points for their team and you know Coach Flo was never someone who would do that. You know, I only ran one event at Big 12 Championships because he's looking towards me running at Budapest, which isn't even part of the collegiate season. So no, I'm really, really grateful to have someone like him. What's life like for you in Texas? I imagine it's uh, quite a bit different from Tala. Like, what's a typical day like for you now? Okay, so I'll use tomorrow as an example. So um, I'll wake up around 5.30 in the morning and I'll go to the gym and we have gym from around 6 till 7.30. And then I'll go to class. Uh, actually, I'll go home for about 30 minutes, get some breakfast and stuff. Then I'll go to class. And after class, I'll come back home for about another 30, 45 minutes. And I'll go to another class. Actually, I'll go to go get food, um, lunch at our nutrition center. Then I'll go to class again. And then after that class, that ends at 2 o'clock. Then I have training from 3 to about 4.30. And then sometimes we have team meeting, sometimes we don't. And if you don't have a team meeting, I go get food at a nutrition center again, and then I'll go home. So that's that's usually what it's like.
the NCAA championships, we probably don't know too much about them over here. Could you maybe put into context just how big they are? The NCAA championship is basically like the world championships for all the best collegiate athletes in the US. So the level here at, on the, at the collegiate system is very, very high. So I seen a tweet yesterday and it was like, it's harder to qualify for the NCAA championships than it is for world championships indoors because they only take the top 16 in the country in each event. And it's based on how fast or how far do you jump or ex- your marks um, throughout the season. So for example, the qualif- the last time to get into the um, 60 meters, for example, 60 meters for women is 720. And that would probably get you into a semi-final at the World Indoor Championships or the European Indoor Championships. And that's the last mark to qualify. So it kind of just shows the depth of the athletes here. It's very, it's a very um, prestigious competition. It has a lot of ties here in the US. Um, anyone in America will know the, how important it is to win an NCAA title. It's absolutely significant. And it's something that a lot of, you know, companies look at, a lot of brands, sports shoes. Um, if you're trying to go pro, that's definitely one of the competitions that they're looking at. So yeah, definitely um, gives birth to, you know, a lot of stars. What do you kind of, would you say to like younger girls as well, especially that are, you know, looking to be, you know, professional athletes and the likes and, you know, to have that belief? Yeah, like the thing is that I feel like if a lot of people don't reach their goals by the age of like 15, 16 or don't see progression, it's, you know, a quick decision to be like, maybe this isn't for me, but everyone kind of blooms at different stages. So I feel like just always stay in the sport for as long as you can, because you won't even, you won't realise when like that drop is coming or when that time that you've been chasing for so long is going to come. So I definitely give advice to um, young girls to always stay in the sports, just give it your all um, and also have fun with it. Don't put too much pressure on yourself because I feel like that pressure for performances, especially at a young age, can kind of be draining to athletes, especially because everyone is kind of all talent based when you're young. You know, you don't do that much strenuous training. So it's kind of hard to differentiate people. So everyone's kind of like on similar levels. So um, that's definitely some advice I give to young girls. And even if you're just staying in the sport for like the social aspect or the mental aspect, like being in the sports can kind of just take you away from like your daily stresses and like kind of just give you a breather. So that's also a reason why I tell girls and people in general to stay in sports. And just even the social aspect, like a lot of my friends that I have are athletes and people that I've met at competitions or people that used to be athletes and like they're some of my closest friends today so I don't know where I'd be without them as well and the connections that you make like I feel like sports brings people from all walks of life together and you never know who you meet you never know who could give you an internship etc so I feel like there's so many reasons and I always try to advocate for that because there's so many reasons to be in sport other than just for performance and if it is for performance like really give yourself the best opportunity so you don't have any regrets when you do leave Rishi Dadaleke there speaking to the media. She is a new ambassador for Alliance and what an ambassador she is. And even just listening to her there, Nadine, talking about the importance of not just seeing sport for sport, but for everything else that um, it brings as well. And often that's something you don't realise until you're gone from it. But like for her to realise that so young is going to stand to her so well in life. Oh, yes, yeah, so young. I mean, at 20, you were just thinking about the next match, the next training mm-hmm. session, but already her head is so, so screwed on and, yeah. and so far ahead for such a young person. And, and she's right. You know, even I look at myself, sport got me into my own profession, got me into this. I'd say all of us here, you know, 
our, our careers mm-hmm. just accelerated through sport and it's the social aspect of it as well and I mean look at her in America you know that's all through sport she's getting her education meeting new people just experience a whole different way of living in a, a, a great place so yeah it is it's it's brilliant and what an ambassador just to spread that word Alice someone who went away when they were young mm. came home again um, it's not an easy thing to do to, to leave your family and to travel um, far to I guess look England is far as well but just, just to go away and everything that you're um, everything all the comforts at home to, to go and kind of follow your dreams um, it's obviously working out for her and she's studying corporate communications um, in Texas as well so things are working out for her but it, like it's a hard thing to, to leave yeah absolutely um, I was 16 when I went away and it was a lot different then in terms of the fact that I suppose coming from a small town you didn't have the phones and the technology mm. and FaceTime it probably makes it a little bit easier um, nowadays plus I think the fact that she's a bit older will stand to me I often look back and think nowadays I look back and my, my little lad is 10 and if the opportunity ever came for him I wouldn't want him to go at 16 I really wouldn't I'd prefer if he was 19, 20 uh, a bit more mature mm-hmm. in himself and to have, a, to have more of an understanding exactly maybe what's required of them then when to go away I hadn't a clue at 16 the opportunity that I was given I just Sure. Who do, who knows at sixteen uh, in terms of what they want to be? It took me a year to even realise what I was doing in England. Really, you know, I was just as Nadine says, you're just turning up playing a match every Saturday. In terms of the application and what's needed to go on and be that professional, before the penny drops, you're two years into it and you're nearly turning mm-hmm. back and your bags are packed. You're coming home. So. Um, I just think when they're that bit older, nineteen, twenty, there's more of a realization, and that's why when you hear that girl speak, she's obviously really tuned in in terms of she knows what she's over there for and what she wants to do. I just think of fifteen, sixteen young lads, and I speak for everyone around in terms of I'm sure it's the same for all young kids, young lads, and if you were to speak to the majority of lads that went away at that age, I'm sure they'd have a similar tale as what I could say. And Alan, like, what was your support network over there? Well, you're a we, child essentially. Yeah, yeah, and to be fair to my mum and dad, like they were just doing things as parents of course yeah. at their best to, to the best of their abilities and the best of their powers but we didn't have anyone to lean on in terms of advice and guidance I'd say it's a lot different now for young lads but the good thing for the lads now is that they can't go away until they're 18 mm-hmm. so they are that bit older um, which I think is a good thing yeah. and, a, and it's a blessing for them really and just the support network when we got over there I ha- you couldn't fault the club everything you were well looked after in terms of the digs and your, the treatment there was never a problem on that front but you were on your own literally on your own and it was you just you against the next fella against the next fella against the next fella and that's the way and it was like it was like a conveyor belt really and if you weren't doing it the next fella was coming along if he wasn't doing it there was a fella behind him there's another fella behind him and it's sink or swim literally like you know and that's what I'm saying about realising the opportunity that you have it took me a year to even realise what I was doing over there you know in terms of I thought like going over to Leeds I must be fairly handy but mm-hmm. I didn't realise I wasn't going over with the intention thinking I'm going over here now to turn this into a professional career and I'm going to play at the highest level and people that tell you that at 15, 16 they're codding themselves because they don't you know you're, they're going over because they're very good in the first place then their talent will get them so far in terms of maybe uh, opportunities after that from 16, 17 and then the penny might drop that they realise I'm close to and then it's kind of when it starts kicking in the realisation but for that first year to 18 months you're only finding your feet and, and kind of... And it's the ones then, I suppose, that have the really good attitude. Uh, they're the ones that, that progress. That's not to say I didn't have a good attitude. The problem I had, I just didn't apply myself to the way I should have in terms of the opportunity that I have. And that's something that I look back on now and I don't kind of... Um, I don't give myself a hard time about it because 
I was only 15, 16. I wasn't supposed to know what I was, yeah. how I was supposed to play myself. And as I said, it was only when I came back here and played for Shelburne and got involved in the environment with Pa Fenlin and the professionalism at that club that I realised what it took to be a professional. Whereas if I got the chance now... I would be the best professional in the world. But that's the problem. You don't realise until it's maybe too late afterwards. Yeah. But for parents or any young lads at home listening, uh, it's t- it's tough. It really is. And especially the, that young girl going away, I admire anyone that goes away, uh, especially somewhere, somewhere as far as America. But I do think it's a massive advantage that they go away that bit later. A couple of years makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, okay, good chat, guys. We want to take a break. Uh, stay with us, though. We have lots of football to come. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back to Alan Colley and Nadine Doherty are with me in studio. Al, did you watch much of the FA Cup last night? I did. I watched Man City, Marie, and they were impressive. But Bristol City played very well too, mm-hmm. to be fair to them. And they're going really well. I think that was their first defeat in 12 games. They're on a great run since Christmas, Bristol City. So it was going to be a tough game. I think Guardiola showed them the respect that they deserved. Bristol City didn't take any chances with the team selection. Although in fairness to Guardiola, I have to applaud him for that. And I know people would say, well, he has the resources and the squad to deal with the competitions. But he takes every competition serious and wants to win every competition. Um, so I enjoyed the match. Um from an Irish point of view I thought Sykes played really well Mark Sykes obviously with the games coming up uh, as well for us in, in in it's only a month now really mm-hmm. is it the, the qualifiers kick off so I think he played really well uh, and the stage was it was a good one there would have been plenty of people tuning in to see that obviously so but it was a good performance and Phil Foden back to his best De Bruyne with a brilliant finish at the end as well so comfortable in the end but I think the 3 line the 3 nil scoreline probably flatters them a little bit it was a lot closer than 3 nil to be fair to Bristol City and ever Evan Ferguson on the score sheet for Brighton yeah it's unbelievable really the impact he's had isn't it um, and brilliant absolutely brilliant like we've praised him to the highest and rightly so and you're talking about young lads going away in terms of the attitude he was pinpointed almost for this career from an early age and obviously you're talking Nadine about support networks his dad Barry professional footballer himself uh, would have had the experience of going away also so he's getting brilliant guidance and, and brilliant people to lean on as well and from what I've ever heard about Evan he had a brilliant attitude from day one so there'll never be a question mark around that and I think it's just about progressing now every chance he gets every opportunity and the fact that he's playing around around uh, in or in with very good players nowadays that'll only bring his game on furthermore because he's still quite raw Will uh, he play for Will he start for Ireland? You're I feel like we're, b- we're back in a Troy Parrott <laughs> conversation here Yeah I, d- I would bank more on him than Parrott yeah, to be honest yeah. with you you know but um but Parra probably has more natural ability than him, funnily enough, you know, if you compare the two. And Parrot again, something pinpointed when he was young. Mm-hmm. But technically, I think Parrot would be a better footballer than Evan. But Evan is a lot more physical, stronger, and can carry himself better. And he has an eye for a goal, which is the most important thing at centre-forward. But I think, Marie, I'm, I, I started there with saying about the impact that he's had. It's hard for Stephen Kenny not to yeah. pick him now. Mm-hmm. Because now... Abafemi has obviously signed with Burnley and, and he's hit the ground running with them too So and I know Stephen likes him and he had a good a- impact in the games last year maybe not in the friendlies towards the end but certainly if Evan keeps up this form and if he if he plays for another three or four weeks which he will uh, leading up to the game it'll be very very hard for Stephen not to pick him Fergal Brennan is with us as well from Anfield Fergal would you pick him? Evan Ferguson? 100%. Um, I, I see where Alan's coming from in terms of uh, Troy Parrott. I was actually covering the, the Preston game last night and, and Troy came on late on and he looked good in patches and that seems to be the word that we, we always use about Troy Parrott, mm-hmm. patches. He has a, a good 20 or 30 minutes here and there and, and the excitement starts to build again. I think there's a lot to be said for 
for consistency. And particularly when you're a teenager, being a consistent Premier League striker, we've, we've not been in a position to say that too many times. And you can say that about Evan Ferguson, the way he took his goal last night and the, the confidence that he has himself. I, I still think, in terms of being a Premier League footballer, I think Troy Parrott's got a long way to go still. Oh. Yeah, and 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 Troy's been around for quite a long time. And um, again, you're speaking about opportunities. You could argue you went to Spurs, and you've you look at the pathway that's in front of you there. You're never getting in ahead of Harry Kane. Whereas I think again, going back to the the guidance and the people around him, probably picked the club Brighton, perfect club for him because you're going to get opportunities. And um, and I think that's something as well to go back to in terms of if there is parents listening and there's young lads that get the opportunity to go away it's so important that you pick the right club Marie there's no point in going to a Liverpool or a Man City yeah. or Spurs or wherever where your path is blocked if you start lower down you can always work your mm-hmm. way up whereas if you go to the very top and you're not getting in the only way is down from there so again brilliant choice on their behalf to go to Brighton um, and he's at a club where obviously he's getting his opportunities and he's taking them and also which th- there's probably a, a bit of luck involved in this he has a manager now that's come in since Potter now I think Potter probably would have given him chances may- maybe not as many as this lad has given him but since Zerby has come in he's basically thrown him in every match yeah. and he's spoken so glowingly about him as well and even spoke about in terms of what he needs to do mm, to improve. Wanted him to but, get better. But yeah. he said, I will make him better. And um, so I think that's very important as well to have the right manager. So um, I just think with Troy, he's obviously gone back to Preston. He just needs to be playing games. I know he had a bad injury just when it looked like he was beginning to take off. And as Fergal said, he came on last night, but he just needs to get back, hopefully to that level that he was showing. But in terms of the future and who will, it's hard to say, I don't want to be, be hard on Troy but to say who'll have the, the longevity in their career I'd bank on Evan OK well we might as well just stay with that theme of, of Ireland players because Liverpool are playing Wolves tonight Is I know we don't have team news yet but any any suggestions that Nathan Collins might start for Wolves Fergal? I think there's a potential of him coming back in there's been a busy run of games uh, over the last few weeks and, and will be building uh, building into March and, and beyond and I think Julian Lopetegui has looked to, to rotate his defensive options obviously Craig Dawson came in in January and, and it seems at the moment to be a direct um, head-to-head mm-hmm. between him and Nathan because uh, Matt Kilman seems to be fairly set in his plans Um I think I, I I can't say with any sort of certainty because obviously the team news hasn't dropped just yet. But I I would like to see him come back in because I, I think in terms of all round he's better than Craig Dawson. Craig Dawson's a good solid centre back and you know he's handy to have around the place. But I think if if Lobtegan wants to be progressive um, from the back in terms of possession and moving forward, I think Collins is the pick. And I think given the type of attack that Liverpool have got with the speed that they've got. I think he's a better pick than, than Dawson for this, but we'll we'll be finding out in the next half an hour. Yeah, we need to see him getting back playing I, regularly as well with yeah, the games that's, coming up. I was just about to say, Marie, that's a worry for me now, mm. especially with the games coming up, because Nathan, who burst on the scene, and, and you look at the impact that he had yeah. on that international team really and we were there the night that he scored the goal over in um, Ukraine it was just incredible but not only that his performance was as good as I've seen from anyone particularly one so young at that level he was absolutely outstanding and then I thought when he gets the move and obviously with Wolves that he'd really kind of stamp his his authority all over that team and, and go on and do really well it's surprising with Lopetegui because he's obviously gone maybe for a bit of experience with Dawson coming in and Dawson's a good steady established Premier League player he's been around for a long time but for me with kind of one eye on the the qualifiers and from our selfish point of view of wanting to see Nathan play it's a worry now that he hasn't played in the last four games and if he doesn't play again tonight and you're coming into a game obviously the likes of France kicking off the qualifiers and he's not starting 
I think you're going back to the question you asked about will he play Evan I think Stephen Kenny has a decision to make say will he play Nathan and if you look back at six nine months ago when Nathan was tearing it up there would have been no question in Stephen Kenny's mind whatsoever yeah. about he would have been banker to start but if he hasn't played in five six seven weeks going into a game like that It'd be, a, it'd be a decision for Stephen to make Fergal it feels so harsh because he was doing really well now I know Wolves went through their bad patch himself but well like I went to see him play against Brentford and he did seem to be one of the people there that was showing leadership that was working hard um, you know he wanted to to do well you could get that sense he was organising the players around him uh, you know he was so mobile around the pitch and then all of a sudden he's just out of favour I think it is, is as simple as that. And I think Lopetegui, in terms of Wolves' form at the start of the year, he needed something to, to stabilise it. And Craig Dawson has that written all over him. I don't think it's a, a slight on Nathan, four games on the run that he's not played. But I think he's a 21-year-old centre-back. And I think based on that position, you are given maybe a little bit more leeway in terms of becoming a Premier League regular. Obviously, we've talked about Ferguson a second ago. And I think there's no there's no reason to panic in terms of him not being able to cut it at Premier League level or that Lovatagi likes him and, and thinks that he's a player for the future. But I do agree with Alan, this idea that we're all now looking forward to the France game and we want players to be playing regularly so that they are sharp and they are ready. And particularly with the attacking players that France have got, you need Nathan Collins absolutely um, at, at top speed. As I say, I think it would... For me, it would make sense that he would start tonight, but it, I, it's a very difficult call to make because Dawson, as you say, does offer that that level of security. But in saying that, they've only kept one clean sheet, which was against Liverpool since Collins has been out of the team. It's something, dear Marie, as well, uh, interesting enough, and, and he is only 21. Mm. And this is actually going to be a really good, steep learning curve for him as well, this actual period in his career where he's been left out of the team. When everything is going swimmingly well and it's all, everything's rosy in the garden and you're you're full of life and full of beans and you're going out doing the performances, yeah. it's these moments you're that... You're going out against Haaland. <laughs> yeah, and it's these moments that build your character and your resilience. Phil Foden spoke about it last night. He said to Gabriel Clark in that interview that it was the lowest point of his career, which is a hell of a statement to make. Like, But when you think of Phil Foden who's been oh, riding yeah. the crest of yeah. a wave for the last three, four, five years and Ian Wright actually said he's been riding the crest of a wave since he's seven or eight because yeah. he was always Destined earmarked as being be, a star. Yeah. So that that last month that he's had, six weeks where he's been coming back from injury and out of the team and not playing, this is a time now for Nathan to have the people around him, the support network, get in amongst them, get in around him because as Fergal said, there's no question whatsoever about his ability and to play at that level and he will, he'll have a really good career at Premier League level but it's these low points that can really test you. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a young lad away from home over living in England, now I know he's been over a long time, well settled in England but these are the moments that test you. So it'll be good for him further down the line but I'm sure if Nathan was standing in front of us he'd be saying I just want to play right now would, yeah. <clears throat> and especially when it's a, these games like a Liverpool game in, in the Premier League and I guess when it's Liverpool not um, at full tilt as well it does make it quite an attractive one and you know usually we'd be thinking Liverpool heading to, to play Wolves or Wolves heading to play Liverpool and think it's going to be a, a, a real tricky one for Wolves but not so much anymore Fergal uh, I think there's still kind of record from, from previous matches stands Liverpool in a fairly strong stead. I think this season was the first time Wolves have beaten um, Liverpool since Klopp arrived at the club. But I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you that air of invincibility that Liverpool 
Liverpool have had for so long. It's not gone completely and certainly not at Anfield. Um, but Wolves will look at this situation and say, no, we're not in the greatest of form. But Liverpool, from what they were there, Liverpool's drop has been far greater than Wolves' drop in, in the space of the last six to 12 months. And, and I've just seen this on, on the way into the ground. And obviously, granted, I think a lot of people might have forgotten the game was even on. It's not on television as well tonight either. The atmosphere tonight compared to Real Madrid or pre-Real Madrid um, last week is, is completely different. There just seems to be a solid get in, get it done, don't get beat. And I think the performance against Crystal Palace at the weekend is, has kind of shook a lot of people because they, they're they expecting a response from the Real Madrid um, defeat. Klopp, that's kind of his hallmark. Whenever there's a bad result, he rallies the players, he G's them up, they go out there and they don't lose again. And that just didn't happen against Crystal Palace. And stretch the right, stretch right the way across the season. They've not won three Premier League games in a row. That's just not good enough mm-hmm. to qualify for the Champions League as is. I still think they're in a strong position to do it, but they need to start getting three, four, maybe even five Premier League wins on the run um, together. And that should start tonight. I, I would agree that Wolves are not going to come and be overawed by the situation because they beat them in the league already this season. But Liverpool at home in this type of game should still have enough. Al, we have a text in about while we're on the theme of Irish players Cuevin Kelleher is he wasting his opportunity staying at Liverpool? No and I, I've had this question two or three times and I always have the same answer even of what I had a year ago 18 months ago he's only young Marie and he's playing there like obviously not playing but I mean he's he's yeah. He's there. He's training every day with the best players, some of the best players in the world. An unbelievable goalkeeper that's ahead of him and he's learning from him as well. So I think uh, he just needs to be patient and he'll get his chance, he'll get his opportunity. He plays him in the cup games as well. Um, Alisson might get injured and he'll play a few games and I think Klopp has full faith in him as well. But right now at this moment in time, I don't think he's wasting his opportunity because goalkeepers can go on and play until they're 37, 38 anyway. So he has so much time on his hands and in terms of the education that he's getting at Liverpool, he won't get one any better. Fergal, there are some kind of, I suppose, stories coming out now that he might be moving on. Is there any um, substance to these, do you think? There is. I mean, I can't reveal an, an excessive amount, but there is at least two Premier League teams that are interested in him. And I think it's effectively going to come down this summer to a conversation between himself and Klopp and his, his representatives and saying, what is the plan for the next 12 months? Because I, I would agree with Alan, this idea that everyone was insisting, go out on loan, go and play in League One or the Championship. No, I think he's he's learned more and become a better goalkeeper by training with Alisson and being in that environment at Anfield where they are one of the best teams in Europe and the the mental preparedness of having to be ready if anything happens to Alisson you have to get out there and you have to perform but I do get the sense that there is going to be a bit of a a fork in the road this summer he's contracted until 2026 he is 24 and I, I see what Alan's saying that goalkeepers can obviously stretch their career on a bit longer but he's at a point now where he, le- he at least needs to make a decision whether that means that he stays and continues in his current position but I think there will be a conversation this summer because there is vacancies coming up at other Premier League clubs. We saw it with Gavin Bazuna going to Southampton. They don't come along very often, certainly not starting roles at Premier League clubs. And when they do come along, there is a huge temptation to take it. Um, so as I said, I can't say a great amount more than that, but there is there is interest in him, firm interest from other Premier League teams. Um, whether that translates into a move, it remains to be seen because he's he's very loyal to Liverpool and to Klopp and, and everything they've done for him but he knows himself that he that he wants to play regularly and we've all seen the evidence that 
he looks ready for, for Premier League football. Um, but it does look difficult that that's going to happen at, at Liverpool. Yeah, it makes sense, really. Like, eventually, you're going to have to move on. Like, you can't just stay as a number two forever. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, um, as Fergus said, I would agree. Like, there, there's going to be a decision needs to be made in the next six months, year, 18 months. But I don't think he's any in, in any rush to be rushing out the door from Liverpool either. It depends on the club. Again, going back to the, the point we were making earlier on about who it is that's looking from Bazuno is in a, in a fortunate position that the club that wanted to sign him... Yeah wanted him to be the number one as well there's no point in Keller coming in and, and thinking am I going to be number one am I not am I going to be going back into competition again with somebody um, so again it's about that manager whoever it might be at a club having belief to say I want to sign you and you're going to be my number one those kind of opportunities don't come along too often either so I think he's fine where he is for the moment but in terms of maybe six months a year down the line uh, maybe then and Alisson might move on because when Liverpool are crumbling the way they are he might want to get out <laughs> I was going to say that but. yeah I could do uh, Fergal Arsenal and um, Everton are in action also tonight in the Premier League could um, Everton upset Arsenal's uh, return to form um, I don't think so I think the kind of whirlwind of, of Sean Dyche's debut where they did win against Arsenal at Goodison um, it was more than it was, it was just a whirl never mind a whirlwind that one win <laughs> yeah, yeah it was it was, uh, it was a tough day for, for Mikel Arteta and he, he was very gracious at the end and obviously he's got a, a bit of fondness for Everton having played there but I think since then we've seen what Everton are going to do between now and the end of the season Sean Dyche is going to pick 10 of the same 11 every week is going to play the same way and that's that's by no means a criticism I think looking at the teams down the bottom of the table he's got the most logical and solid plan for keeping a team in the Premier League particularly when you compare them to Bournemouth or, or Southampton and, and one or two others um, but I don't expect any change from plan A I don't think there is any sort of second gear in terms of what they're expecting to do we've seen the way that they've played just two goals scored both of them coming from defenders Seamus Coleman's wonder goal against Leeds being one of them and I think Arsenal on the back of losing to Everton then losing to City it looked like there was going to be a bit of a wobble but you have to give them credit responding against Aston Villa staying in the game winning the game and then Leicester at the weekend it was a really kind of tense watch in the last five or ten minutes for, for any Arsenal fan because Leicester were dreadful but the old adage of when there's only one goal in it just takes a set piece and ball to bounce in their own direction and suddenly it's another two points dropped and I think Arteta knows City's draw against Forest. That type of nonsense probably won't happen again between now and the end of the season. So they just have to keep winning. Um, I think the key tonight will be scoring early for Arsenal because if Everton get set and bedded in, denying space, defending set pieces, it will be difficult. But I think if Arsenal can just get at them really, really early, get a goal, then I think it's going to be really hard for Everton to come back because they just don't score a lot of goals. They're good at defending and keeping the ball out of their own net but at the other end they're, they're not great and, and Arsenal have looked good in the last couple of weeks Al Manchester United are in FA Cup action against West Ham United do you just chill out now watch the games enjoy them <laughs> they, are a good, they are a good watch now Marie to be fair um, it'll be interesting to see just I suppose how they bounce, how to react from Sunday and now Ten Hag and, and rightly so all the talk in the last couple of days is we get back on the horse and focus on the game on Wednesday night and give West Ham the respect they deserve and I believe every word that he says because he's that type I think that's parked now Sunday and you get on with trying to win the FA Cup and trying 
trying to win the league as well can I throw that one out but <laughs> no. no he's done such a brilliant job I think they'll beat West Ham as well Marie it'll be interesting to see will he make a couple of changes because they've had two really difficult games obviously the Barcelona one last Thursday night straight into a cup final um, even though I felt Sunday they were comfortable enough for large spells just it might just kind of he might look to make a couple of changes and bring some lads in that, that haven't been getting game time but they are riding a crest of the wave at the moment now. they're going really well <laughs> and Alan's happy um, ok guys that is it for our football chat Fergal if you get any team news please let us know we're as interested in the Wolves lineup as we are in the Liverpool one for Nathan Collins reasons um, we're going to take a quick break but stay with us uh, Nadine has football to come and we also have Aoife Murray talking Kabogi <laughs> Welcome back. It is time to turn our attention to ladies football. Nadine Doherty, former Donegal footballer, is with us. And Nadine, I'm going to start at the place you didn't want to start, and that was the Cork Donegal match from the weekend. Cork 5 11, Donegal 1 point. Explain that to us. How does that even happen? Well, I've been on the back of defeats like that back in the day with Donegal, and I remember distinctly a game in Cork about 20 years ago. But I mean, those girls didn't go down there thinking for a second that that was going to happen and in fairness to Donegal you know I know they're sitting bottom of the league but you know up until the weekend they were really competitive Marie in in every game and look it was just a really really bad day and the game was done by half time obviously but even going into it you know they were missing Neve Carr and Amy Boyle Carr Amy Boyle Carr who two really good players for them so far this year and while they've been missing you know all the big names those two girls are really solid and listen then you look at Cork they came off the back of two disappointing defeats and I'd say they would have expected that response themselves and I'd say Shane Renane would have expected it as well and you know you're playing the, the team bottom of the table at home they were probably expecting a big result and, and they got that. But look, I think with Donegal, they'll, they'll be most disappointed with their basics, Marie, mm. because that is what, what let them down big time. And then, you know, they really struggled with Cork's physicality. Um, the inexperience of the Donegal players really showed in that department. And a few of the goals were really soft. You know, they conceded two goals two separate times within a minute of each other and, and that was it but worryingly again it's that lack of score on the other end and yeah, one point it's, one. Yeah, yeah I mean that's you know it's it's inexcusable really um, but look I listened to an interview with Maxi and he feels it's still in their own hands you know they play Dublin and Mayo uh, Mayo still they'll be disappointed from the weekend but it is hard to see them surviving now but positives 13 new players so far this year um, there is talk of the big names coming back but I'm just worrying now you know is it going to be a case of too little too late mm. I mean Katie Heron came on there at the weekend which is brilliant and Neve McLaughlin's on the road back from injury but I just felt last year you know a few of the girls who did come back late I'm not sure if they actually got to that pace that they were at the previous years so look we'll see it it was disappointing but as we're talking about parking things you know Donegal will park that and they'll focus two weeks is good the break for them is, yeah, is much needed it, yeah. and it's it, it'll be good hopefully So Kerry had a really impressive performance against Meath winning 118 to 9 points and they just seem to be going from strength to strength building on last season and getting better every game Yeah look 
Kerry are showing all the tributes you could say of a team who are just playing with huge confidence Marie and a collective belief it's it's really clear they're full of energy their forwards are tackling really high I always feel that's a sign of a team who are, are on a good buzz at training um, they're pressing kickouts really good support play and look their forwards like they were last year they have an excellent set of forwards and they're performing and they're delivering um, but you know in fairness to me th- the first half was a very competitive game and Meath held on against a, a pretty strong wind and Meath started really brightly and you kind of thought oh, is this going to be their turning point of, of their season but Kerry tagged on 1-2 in about 90 seconds to subdue them a bit but as I said Meath came back and I really expected Meath to come out in the second half all guns blazing but Kerry I think got the first six scores maybe and with 15 minutes to go the, the game was over um, look I feel it was won and lost mostly on Kerry really pressed the Meath kickout and unless Meath went short they they were losing all those long kickouts and Kerry support play it was just slicker they were just I would feel that little bit hungrier and I just think what Meath I said at the very first game um, against Dublin that they're just they're lacking that collective energy Marie and you can see now there's visible frustration there the body language there's a lot of dissent the referee it's no more than Donegal I kind of I'd worry for me at the minute mm-hmm. they really really need those big names back because up front they are really really struggling um, and while they're relatively safe from relegation it's just been really disappointing but look they'll have a plan for championship as well I'm, I'm not going to write anybody off early and we know from writing me off in the past they came back and won two All-Irelands when we did that exactly. so I'll just stop yeah. there <laughs> It's probably safer Yeah. Uh, what about Dublin and uh, Mayo though uh, it seemed like it was one of those great contests yeah, listen, both teams I'd say I'd be really disappointed with their performances. It it was it was grand. You know, it was littered with a huge amount of mistakes, basic, basic errors. And for me the highlight was probably Leah Caffrey's performance mm-hmm. against Rachel Cairns. It was a massive battle and Leah came out on top. Um polar opposite to the Waterford Galway game, which we we'll talk about in a minute. Those two teams just retained possession for long spells and Dublin and Mayo couldn't retain possession for longer than a minute but it was it was entertaining for the spectator but you know Mick Bohan I suppose talked about well he, he was delighted with the win but he's disappointed with the, the Dublin performances I feel I think he's frustrated and he's definitely looking for a bit more leadership but you know you have to look outside of Leah who I mentioned Carla Rowe Martha Byrne Lauren McGee Jennifer Dunn you know, outside of that, the leadership is lacking a little bit, and it's because it's a bit like the men's team. You know, where we're wondering are they the same caliber of players still there? Like, as you go on, you go along, you know, you win a clatter of all Ireland's. You're trying 100%. to rejuvenate. When you're winning and you're sticking with kind of the same players, it's very hard to develop the new players, and then you wonder are they there? Is it too late? Absolutely. And in in defence of Dublin and McBowen, he always tried to blood new players throughout the league, mm-hmm. and he did that. He was always excellent at bringing in two or three, but come championship, it was always those names we're familiar with. You know, I look at Dublin and they have you know Ailish O'Dowd in there, who's originally from Leitrim. So if the talent base is in Dublin you're looking outside to Leitrim for a midfielder. What does that say? Mm-hmm. You know what? Yeah. I mean, Ailish plays with Nafina, my own old club up here, and she's a fantastic player, but you just wonder where the, the depth is. And look, you look at Dublin, they've totally changed how they're playing because they have to. They have a different type of player. They're lighter, they're quicker, they're faster. So there's a lot of carrying the ball. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, we were used to that Dublin off the shoulder, one touch football, give and go. And that's okay for them now, that running game. 
but when they come up against those blanket defences in championship you'd worry do those girls have the, the strength to break the tackle um, so look they, they definitely have a long way to go but at the same time listen they're they're sitting okay in the league like Donegal they've blooded a lot of new blood but the question will keep hanging over there you know does this current crop have what it takes to, to really really challenge for an All-Ireland and as it stands at the minute no but listen we're four or five games yeah. into the league so, so True, we'll see yeah. Galway and Waterford between them 15 points Galway 10 points Waterford 5 defensive football at its finest oh it's a tight effort now right? <laughs> <laughs> there were limited levels of excitement you know I was disappointed with Waterford because they're safe from relegation they've really pressed this year they were sitting in a really good place had they won that game on Sunday they would have put themselves in a position to qualify for the league final but they sat back they kept possession and they just didn't play any sort of attack in football. Emma Murray, who's been driving forward for them, she's one of the best carriers of the ball. They've used her in such an attacking role the whole year. She sat back, made a couple of bursts forward. So that kind of spoke volumes about how they were going to set up. And they had nothing to lose. Listen, Galway, again, did what they had to do. Moments of brilliance. That was the difference. Look, they have Olivia Dively, they had Roisin Leonard, they had Tracy Leonard. They had players who could just turn the game when they wanted to you know Roach and Leonard popped over some brilliant scores and Waterford just at the minute don't have those key players to, to turn a game around um, listen it was a possession game Galway are still in with a shot of making that league final which I expect they probably will and for them at the minute it's about getting results and keeping themselves in the top two so they, they don't care what we have to say really that's so. true that's true um Nadine, thank you. Stay with us though, because we're turning our attention now to Camogie. Aoife Murray is with us on the line. Aoife, how are you? Good, yeah, good. Um, I'm going to start off with the All-Stars and the controversy around that and just whether or not, and I'd like Nadine's opinion on it as well, whether or not you think that it's the it's the right time for the Camogie All-Stars to be happening and, and what would you would see as an alternative if, if there was to, in your opinion, need to be a change? Um, I suppose firstly, look, when I when I saw the announcement, um, my initial reaction was brilliant. It's great that the All-Star uh, trip is back. Mm-hmm. Um, and super location looks like an absolute amazing uh, trip as well. So I think initial reaction uh, is one of positivity that when it's back and it would have been a, a, a super a super tour for, for the All-Stars. I suppose once you start to look into it and you looked into the date that it was announced, um, you know, I suppose positivity turned to disappointment very quickly because for me, trying to, I suppose, wedge something so important for a certain group of players, like it is meant to be a reward for, for the top players in those two years, to try and wedge it in between your National League and your Championship, um, to me, was probably a no-go from the very start. Uh, it did to me probably show a little bit of disrespect to, to the provincial championships as well. I know they're not national competitions and they are ran by by the provincial councils themselves, but I know as as a as a Munster woman how important Munster Championship um was was for me. Any opportunity to play a tip and try to beat tip was 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 one uh, 
purely enjoyed. But um, yeah, time of year to me is is wrong because it should be at the end of the club season, the end of the year, where players can go and enjoy themselves. They can let their hair down. They can eat the pizza if they want to eat the pizza. Um, Always eat the and, pizza. Uh, <laughs> we will do this. That was probably my trouble. Yeah, that was my trouble. Uh, I didn't quite quite keep that to off season, but um, it is one to celebrate players, right? And it's mm. one to celebrate Camogie. And to me, you do that in the best part of the season where players can actually go and maybe let their guard down. And not just to each other, but but obviously to players that they probably try to beat the head off for half the year. But it's also to mingle and mix with the Camogie Association and try and build maybe better communication avenues and maybe better relationships as well. And try and tear down those kind of them and us situations that, that can happen and effectively putting it in between, wedging it in between uh, National League and, and uh, apologies, Championship without any consultation it seems with the players to me just it was a, a bit of an own goal on um, on Camogie's side Okay so the trip is is great but it's just the timing of the trip is the is the, yeah. is the difficult one um, it, it, it is and, and the lack of communication I think as well as the other side to it I think if this had been communicated far sooner then maybe Championship Monster Championship other obviously other championships could have been rescheduled or, or, or looked at and certainly planned for so um, it's a bit of both, to be honest. Okay, um, we're nearly out of time, but I do want to talk about the the games um, gone and the games coming up. And and look, I guess focus really because we do have a big Tipperary Cork game uh, coming up in, in round three is on Cork's performance um, at the weekend over Clare and scoring two nineteen in any day is pretty impressive, Eva. It, it, it is, but I suppose if you probably have to go into the detail a little bit on it, I suppose look. One of those goals was 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 quite a fortunate goal, an unfortunate one for for uh, for Murphy and goals for Clare, um, and one eight of that two nineteen came from Amy O'Connor. So I think as good as the victory was on paper, uh, I would say there was still probably a lot to learn from Cork's perspective. Equally, and Clare coming away with one ten, you know, Lachlan seems to be in great form, McNamara, etc. So you know, I don't think it was a huge disappointment for Clare, even though looking at how they played last year, uh, they were certainly. Uh, certainly against Cork how they played uh, they would have liked to come away with a win there but still some positives as well on, on their side leading into what is a, a really important weekend and Galway got one over against Kilkenny and, and look they, they'll want to take all of those wins they will and, and look four points I think was the bit that was in between in between both of them and Kilkenny did put up a good fight but I think if you were Carl Murray you would have walked away really happy with how Galway really finished out that game and you know winners always find a way to win and I, and I think certainly Galway found found it was that extra gear um, but again it's only second round of the championship so I'm sure I'm sure Brian Dowling was looking at uh, possible uh, improvements towards the towards the end of the game plenty of learnings for both again if you're a, a Dublin Camogie fan, would you be worried? Uh, one six to two thirteen against Tip, and it kind of follows up with that disappointing performance against Cork as well. Yeah, I suppose you would be concerned in many ways. I suppose if you if you look at the two games they've put down, I think they've scored one eleven, but they've conceded mm-hmm. five thirty five thirty, um, and I think that's the big that's the big thing for me. If if you know. Looking at Dublin and spent plenty of t- plenty of my my years living in Dublin and watching them play even at club level, and um, I think it was disappointing. The first two games was just the level of defending for a couple of experienced defenders as well, and um, you know quite naive in some of their tackles of, of jumping into it and, and leaving players of this quality kind of uh, take it and, and and round them. So as negative as that is, I would like to think if you were the management team 
some small tweaks could could make a, a lot or a big difference for them, especially in that defending. Because if they can cut that down, then you know they should have a say in championship. But right now, there's there's a lot of work to yeah, to do. Seems like that. All right, um, Aoife, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. Alan Colley, do you have any team news from Liverpool Wolves for us before? Not for Liverpool Wolves, Murray. That's the only one we don't have because <laughs> kick off's eight o'clock and. It'll be one minute past seven before we get that team right, sheet. So three minutes to go. But we do have team news from Arsenal, Everton. We probably could have picked these teams. I speak to you often about you love continuity. The consistency. Yeah, you do. And um, Arsenal always have the nine or ten out of eleven. Now we left out Enketia tonight. He's playing Martinelli, Trossard, and Saka as a front three. So that'll be interesting from Everton's point of view. Same thing with him, Sean Dyche. Uh, it's the team that he's picked in the last two or three games. But Coleman captains them as well. And from the Irish angle, Burnley, who were at home uh, in their cup match, they're playing. Cullen is starting, and Abafemi starts as well. But interestingly enough, Gavin Bazunu is not in the squad for Southampton. Now it's a cup game, so I'm not sure if it's an injury. Yeah. It doesn't say anything about an injury but I wouldn't be too concerned just yet okay. anyway Right well we'll keep an eye on that um, yeah. Alan Adine thank you so much for coming in uh, that's all we have time for Better De Silva is up next RTE 2FM